easy street. We get into complications. We get into challenges. We get into things happen. And no, we don't want that. But we pray, God, show us your glory. I am going to preach in flip-flops on television next time. This is fabulous. Never done this. I feel like I got wings. Woo! This is scary. Um, at any rate, get them. <laughs> yeah, Becky show, saw me put on flip-flops. She goes, oh, Lord, help us, Jesus. But you know what? I, we, we avoid those very situations. We cry for miracles. We ask God to show his glory. We ask for signs and wonders. But then when a situation or context is presented to us or we are put in it, that we've got to believe in it, we don't, we don't want to avoid it with all that is within us. Ephesians 3 and 20. Let's read that. Then I'll share a story and then we'll get into the story. Ephesians 3 and 20. Familiar verse, but wanted to open up our day with this. Ephesians 3 and 20 powerful promise that most of us can quote but I'll read it so you can read along silently Ephesians 3 and 20 now to him everyone say him now listen when you read this I feel like what God is saying what he's going to say what he wanted to say to the king that we're going to preach about in a moment is read this in light of this read this in light of your situation right now read this in the context of where you are today. Read this for whatever you're going through or believing God for. Read this for that. I'll explain in a moment. Now to him, everyone say him, who is able to do what? Exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask. I don't know about you, but I can ask some pretty big things. This last month, I've been asking God for some things that was pretty big and they all nailed down this week what we ask or think are those i was asking this week the other weeks have not nailed down yet we're still working on that ask or think according to the power that works in us say his power works in me now to him not to me but in him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that Rhonda davis could ask or think one of my greatest gifts is imagination and creativity. I don't have many of the other gifts that people have, but I have that. I can think some pretty big things, but he says, in him, in him, my future is brighter than I could imagine. Can I get an amen? In him, there is something greater than anything I've known in the past. In him, who is able to do way above, exceedingly abundantly, beyond what I can think or ask, according to his power that is in me, to him be the glory in the church forever. And everyone said, amen. In a minute, we're going to turn to Old Testament. Let me tell you a story. Recently, as everyone was gone to camp, it was the week that I had to call 911 on some whosoevers. If you missed that story, you'll have to catch it later. But had some rambling bandits here, and Mike McCormick brought up a code stone killer to save me. We ministered the whosoever. I happened to be backed into a corner without a gun, a pistol. I had Psalms 91, but it wasn't affecting them in that moment. So we had to call 911, lest my, you would be worshiping by my gravesite today possibly but had to call now once things happened all week and on Thursday I thought man I've made it through this week all the pastors are at camp and I'm used to this but I wasn't used to doing everybody's job at one time if I ever thought in the history of this church which I have never thought this that I possibly was holding this church together that week assured me I was indeed not holding this church together look at your neighbor and say I know what she's talking about sometimes we think we're holding our job together we think we're holding our marriage together we think we're holding our ministry together we think we're holding our family together and sometimes God will allow you a snapshot just to show you 
you, baby, you ain't holding nothing together. There is one who holds all things together. The book of Colossians says, in him, not all things were just created, but in him, all things, everyone say, all things hold together. That means he's holding together everything, even in my chemistry and in my bloodstream together. He is holding it together. Even in your worst day, Mr. and Mrs. Faithful. Even in your very most horrible day, Mr. and Mrs. Responsible. God will show you that he's the one holding it together. So I was in my daughter's Volvo, headed to Chattanooga to see Gigi. Um, our drummer's wife and Pastor Jason Diana's mother. And she had a stroke. She's been in the hospital. I was on my way to see her. And uh, I was going down the interstate. And all of a sudden, this big piece of metal came flying across 24. Everyone missed it. I could not miss it. I'm either going to kill everybody or go over the metal. You ever been there? So what do we do? We go over the metal. So I go over the metal. And immediately, I heard the car make every kind of horrible noise. Like the motor was absolutely dropped and just having a war and going against it and skidding along the interstate 24. So I knew something was horribly wrong, wasn't sure, pulled over on the side of the road and jumped out. I had on these Nike flip-flops. Fortunately, I was going to put my heels on. I had on a more flowing skirt, just so you get the picture, because this story gets a little better in a moment. It involves me running down the interstate, in case you're wondering. And I had on a flowing skirt and uh, a little jacket, and I, I jumped out. I couldn't see anything, so I thought, I'm going to go up a little bit farther on 24. is right before Belvoir, right where two inlets come into 24, and they come in at huge, massive speed right after the overpass. So I go up just a little bit more. I get out and I see that the tire is flat. I jumped out real quick. And when I did, I forgot that Courtney's door automatically shuts on you. And when it shuts, it locks on you. And the Volvo was running and the keys and my cell phone were inside the Volvo. Come on, somebody. How to have more when less is all you can see. So I'm standing on the side of that Volvo and I'm just standing there, and I'm thinking, I'm looking in the car, there's the cell phone, there's the very tall, delicious, iced-down Panera tea that I just had when I stopped at Panera, and it's very hot. It was 96 degrees that day, and uh, but I did fortunately have on my Nike flip-flops. I'm standing there on the side, and I, in my mind, I mean, I'm not doing a woo-woo-woo, but in my mind, I'm saying, okay, Lord, give me wisdom. Father, what should I do? This is a very impossible situation here. Indeed, what shall I do? I thought, I'll call someone. You don't have your cell phone. Um, I looked around. I checked the trunk, nothing. And I stood there, and I thought, you know, if every day that people stop me 10 times a day to tell me I look like Sarah Palin, surely this will be the day that somebody will think I'm Sarah Palin, and they'll stop for me. I know I'm not the cute homecoming queen at 18 anymore or Miss Upland at 22, but, you know, I'm 50, but maybe some 50-year-old man of God just hoped he wasn't anybody I didn't want to go home with, would stop and have mercy on me. But the traffic is just zooming by, and I'm standing there, and it seemed like an hour, but it was probably about 12 minutes, and I'm asking the Lord. I'm thinking all the rules. Now, when I married Pastor Hank, my daddy Cecil, he gave me rules the whole time I was growing up. There's rules of, you know, for, for traveling. I don't know if you know that, and men seem to love to give them to you. First of all, going down the road, my dad said, don't don't, you know, always lock the car doors. When I married Pastor Hank, he said, no, don't lock the car doors when you're traveling. So, you know, it took seven years for me to believe that my husband knew as much as my daddy and start obeying him or, or listening to his rules. So I thought about what Pastor Hank always says, rule number one, Rhonda, stay with your car. So I'm thinking, rule number one, stay with your car, Lord. But Lord, no one is stopping. I'm smiling. I'm all dressed up. I've got on some bling. I do have on flip-flops. But Lord, no one is stopping. They're zooming by. Oh yeah, truckers were honking. You know, you know, looking good. I thought, I am not out here for your pleasure, people. Um, 
And so this went on. And so, you know, I keep asking the Lord, what should I do? God, what is the wisdom? So I am a woman of action, if you didn't know that by now. So I began to look around and I see crossing two inlets to the right and up a little bit is Calvary Baptist Church, a brick church. I've seen it hundreds of times because I go to the hospital all the time to visit people right over there. And I'm saying to the Lord, okay, Lord, I've been out here for about 12 minutes and I can't get into this car and I can't call anybody. There's Calvary Church. I can cross, I can run down the interstate. I don't know, about one eighth of a mile, then cross the two inlets. Then I looked at the house and I thought, no, probably Saddam Hussein's stepson lives in one of those houses. I want to go there. So I'm going to, I'm going to go to that church and just hope that someone's at that church. So I'm saying to the Lord, Lord, I give you a couple more minutes. I'm waiting for your wisdom. But if, 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 if you don't speak otherwise, I'm going to run to the Baptist church. So in a minute, the Lord didn't speak. So I began to run in my skirt and my glasses, my jacket. I run down the interstate as people are honking. I don't know if they thought I was doing it for my health. And uh, then crossed two inlets um, in danger. Ran another one-eighth of a mile up to Calvary Baptist Church. Come running and opened the door to Calvary Baptist Church. When I did, the music was blaring. He's our great shepherd, the rock of all ages. I thought, woo, landed at the right place today. So I go down the hallway, walk into where all the secretaries are. Of course, I'm burning up. My hair is everywhere where I've been running down the interstate. Good thing that I go to the gym four times a week. Come in and stand in there and the secretaries all look at me and then that's when they looked at me with pity and that's when I wanted to cry. I was strong until they looked at me with pity. Don't look at me with pity. Don't look like you care because if you care, I'm going to cry. Just act like you don't care and I'm okay. And I said, I just want you to know I'm a pastor's wife. I was on my way to the hospital. My car, you know, I've locked my keys. Oh, honey. Oh, sweetie. And I said, well, all I want to do is use your phone. So, I said, I'm going to call 911 second time in a week. I haven't called 911 in years, but I'm going to call them twice. So I called 911, and the lady said, you know, we don't carry the gym, what's those things? We don't, we don't carry those slim gyms, but I'm going to call TDOT for you. And said, ma'am, did you say you crossed the two inlets right before Belvoire? Um, and then I thought, this was cute, in your skirt running. And I said, I said, yes, I did. She goes, are you sure you can get back there safely? I said, oh, yes, absolutely. I'm going to wait underneath the shade tree. I'm going to watch till T-Dot gets there. So, indeed, I told the secretaries goodbye. No one really offered to help me. That was interesting. But anyway, so I go back in and stood under the shade tree. And every church has its beauty. But anyway, I stood underneath the shade tree and watched my car. And then I saw T-Dot pull up. So I run back toward T-Dot, run through the two inlets, run up the interstate. When I get up to the guy, the T-Dot guy is standing there, and he said, Girl! Well, I liked him right there. He called me girl. You didn't have to run over here, girl! Uh, and and I, I was looking at you, and he's a tall, white man, gray-headed, and I said, Oh, I'm just ready to get this taken care of. So he goes, he can't get into my car and, and all that, and he, you know, he's talking to me so nice, and he said, we're going to have to call Locksmith. I can't get into your car. So he puts me in his T-Dot truck, and then he walks to go look at the Volvo. When he does, of course, I looked around his seats because I'm a woman of faith and power, but I want to make sure he didn't have a gun or any kind of you know blood, like too many watching too many movies, and everything looked good, and he's government. So he gets back in, and we sit there, and I tell him a thing that I prayed and asked God for wisdom, just very simple, and I thought the best thing was to go. I knew I left my car running, my daughter's Volvo in park on the side of the interstate. He's, I said, I thought somebody stopped. He said, girl liked him again. He said, nobody would have stopped for you here. He said, there's no way they can stop here for you. Said, they're coming down the interstate so fast that two inlets coming in, they'll get killed if they tried to stop for you. He said, but, this is the cute part, he said, but you see that camera way up there on the top of that pole? He goes, that's our T-Dot camera. He said, I'm sure we got you on film running up and down the interstate. <laughs> and um, he said, um, and we would have, we would have seen you eventually. And he said, it might have been an hour, but we would have caught you. And then, you know, it just hit me. I said, 
am I going to be like on the news tomorrow morning? And he goes, yeah, you know, like when they call it show T-Dot, he goes, well, no, not present. But he was so sweet. So we talked. Then the wood, the locksmith came, and he came, and I ran up to him, and I said, you know, of course, said, I haven't locked my key. I'm 50. I haven't locked my keys in my car in 20 years. He goes, girl, liked him again. He said, I wouldn't have told anybody I was 50. I didn't have you a day over 39 when I saw you running. So, <laughs> so we're we're standing out there, and I thought, these are my two BFFs. They're two new, two new BFFs. We are going to do lunch together, breakfast together. If Pastor Hank had been there, we'd have probably lived with him for the rest of our life. They'd have connected so much. But uh, he gets me into my car, gets the T-Dot, gets the tire on, and we leave. All that did, how to believe for more when less is all you can see. And that's why I've got these flip-flops on this morning. That was a story to entertain you. Look at your neighbor and say, yeah, or just give God a hand clap of praise. Listen to this. Listen, in 2 Kings 13, we'll go there in a minute, but in 2 Kings 13, God wants a king to believe for more. God wants a king to interpret what's in his life right now in light of what's been said before to him. God wants you, brothers and sisters, God wants me today to interpret whatever is in our life based on what he has said or promised before. Listen to what God said to Israel in Deuteronomy 4 and 32. I, I love this. Is that the NLT? It says, now search all of history from the time God created people in the earth until now and search from one end of the heavens to the other. He says, come on. God says this to Israel, come on, search all of history. Search from one end of the heavens to the earth and see this. See, has anything as great as this ever been seen or heard? He's talking about when he took Israel out of Egypt. And he's talking to you this morning. Has anything ever been seen or heard as powerful? is what God has done in your life already. Now tell me, is there anything been seen or heard? Is there any Lifetime television movie? Is there any production? Is there any Spielberg production or Mel Gibson uh, thing that's going on that could compare with what God has done in your life? Someone say no. He goes on to say, has any nation ever heard the voice of God speaking from the fire as you did? See, he's telling Israel all this in the book of Deuteronomy so that when they get to 2 Kings, when they get to the rest of their journey, they will interpret and read this situation in light of what God said here. And that's what God is saying to you and I. He said, has any other God, listen to this, Israel dared to take a nation for himself out of another nation? took Israel out of Egypt for himself, and listen to this, by means of trials, miraculous signs, wonders, war, a strong hand, and a powerful arm, and terrifying acts. Yet this is what the Lord did. Everyone say, yet this is what the Lord did. Let me ask you this morning, has any other nation, has any other people been taken up out of another nation? What nation have we been taken up out of? We were taken up out of the nation of Adam's race, the race that was doomed to spend eternity in hell, the race that was doomed to live in their perversion, their sin, their poverty, their unattainable goals, and their conquest because of sin. And has any other God ever reached into one nation the seed of Adam, the seed of failure, when Adam sinned in the garden and pulled that nation up and called them in the book of Peter, you are now a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy people that you belong to the Lord. Come on, somebody. Give God. Come on, put your hands together. Put your hands together. 
Yet this is what God did. Say it again. Yet this is what God did. I wonder if you interpreted what's going on in your life right now and emptied your quiver of all your resources. I wonder what full investment you would find on the other side if you realize this. He goes on to say in Deuteronomy 7, he says, He did this so you would know that He is the Lord and there is no other. He drove out people before you that were stronger than you and more numerous than you. And he did all that to give you the land. It's amazing how um, intimidated, inhibited we become by modern politics. And we think that the spin masters on the liberal media, and we think those that are trying to keep prayer out of school are more powerful than us. But God is saying, I moved everything out from before you. I moved everything out of the path to find you where you were, whether you were four or 40, and give you a new name and a new life and a new future and you think that I cannot deal with anything that is bigger or greater in sight than you I am the Lord somebody give God a shout of praise this morning he said I drove those out he says in Deuteronomy 7 and 19 remember the miraculous signs and wonders of the strong hand and the powerful listen the powerful arm of the Lord Remember, he says to Israel, but he's saying to you today, where we're going to go in 2 Kings in a moment for the last minutes of this message that I'll speak out of. Remember, he says to Israel, the strong hand and the strong arm of the Lord that pulled you, Israel, a million strong out of Egypt. That pulled you out. Remember, the Lord will use this same power. Listen, Deuteronomy 7 and 19 against all those that you now you see, there were foes and enemy against you, children of God. There even now is people and enemies, principalities and powers, indeed, yes. And people that are against you, people that are affected by those principalities and those powers. There are those who were against you ever being saved. And those are those that are sitting at the table of the dominion of darkness, even now charting and architecturally speaking and writing plans to keep certain protocols that belong to maybe people that you love or that we know out of the fullness of the salvation of Christ. They have stacked themselves up. But guess what? The same hand and the same arm that reached into Egypt and pulled Israel out is the same hand and the same arm that will pull in at the deepest and darkest moments of those that we are praying for to pull them out of dominion and pull them out of darkness and bring them in. The same arm that did it for you is the same arm that will do it for them. If you're believing for anybody this morning, why don't you give God a shout of praise in this house? Hallelujah. And he says that same arm is against everyone and everything. I don't know about you, but the Bible says be not afraid. But there are some things I am fearful of. There are some things. But God says exercise your faith. We need to take our faith from our pews so we don't have them to the pavement. Our faith can't just be right here. And he wants you to interpret what's in your life right now by what he has said in this word. He goes on to say, and then we'll go to 2 Kings, Exodus 19 and 4, if you're taking notes. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. 
He's saying to Israel, you saw with your own eyes how through the plagues, you saw me part the Red Sea, you saw me drown Pharaoh, you saw me do all those wonderful things, you saw what I did. Now interpret what's going on in your life right now by what I did then. And God is saying to you, Annabelle, and God is saying to you, Cindy, and God is saying to you, Harold, and God is saying to you, Kimberly, interpret what's in your life life right now by what you saw him do to your enemies in the past. Someone give God a shout of praise. But I love this. And it says, and how I did that to the Egyptians and how I bore you. I'm working on a message about this, so I'm just going to pass by here. But how I bore you, a million people, you use a figuratively like a, um, what's that for, a metaphor. I bore you on the wings of an eagle, and I took you out of Egypt. How do one million people sit on top of the wings of an eagle? God is simply an artist painting a picture. He is saying, when all the odds were stacked up against a million people, it was so simple for me. I simply spread my wings and I bore one million people strong, effortlessly. You see, an eagle doesn't flap, an eagle soars. An eagle doesn't quack like a duck, an eagle soars. An eagle doesn't have to do anything. An eagle just catches the winds. And when it catches the wind, you know from pastor's sermon, it can soar almost as high as the highest heavens. He's saying, I bore you and brought you to myself. I alone did it. God is saying to them, interpret what's in your life, what you're believing for. Exercise your faith. Empty your quiver with your arrows of the resources that I have given you and exercise your faith and what you're going through right now. Interpret it by what I did. But let me tell you, as we get ready to go to second Kings, let me tell you this. We were born not on the wings of eagles out of Egypt, the country, the nation. We were born on the shoulders of a man called Christ. When he came up, the Via Della Rosa, when he was carrying the sword and pushing, sitting on the shoulders was you and was I. He bore us, blessed be Jesus' name forever, on his shoulders out of sin, out of poverty, out of sickness, out of discouragement, out of depression. He bore you on his shoulders and he brought you deliverance. Somebody give the Lord Jesus I praise. Interpret what's going on in your life right now by remembering he bore you on his shoulders. He bore you. Second Kings 13. Let's go there. Let's find what God will speak to us. This is about the last half of my message, if that much. Second Kings 13. Familiar passage to some of us, maybe some not. Faith. Faith without works is what? Faith without works is what? Faith without works is what? You can have all the faith in the world and until you use it and experience it, until you take that faith and use it. You see, this microphone is engineered and wired to project my voice to the utter perimeters of this facility. Now, all microphones I've used, whether uh, San Juan's, 8,000 people at their, the Aqua de Font Church, that microphone was projected to reach those 5,000 people. Um, whether he's speaking to two, 20, 100, 30,000, whatever. God, this is 
engineered to pick up my voice, but listen to me. It's wired, it's all, it's set up, it's established. But if I stand up here and I don't open my voice, I am not going to be heard. Faith without works is dead. At that point, I cannot blame the microphone. I cannot blame the sound man. I cannot blame God. In our life, often we are waiting for God. God might just be waiting on you to empty your arrows and to exercise your faith. You see that chair that you're sitting on this morning, you had all the confidence that that chair would hold you, but until you sat in that chair, until you exercised what you believed about that chair and it did hold all of you in your chair, you could not say that that chair could hold you. There are 8,000, everyone say 8,000. 8,000 promises in the word of God, which means 8,000 opportunities for you to exercise your faith, to read what's in here and then read into what you're going through. How to have more when less is all you can see. We all want miracles. We all want God to see. A little thing about faith without works is dead that just is kind of an amendum, if I can say so, to my message. But listen, just practical. Out of the Message Bible, James 2 and 20, before we read. Dear friends, do you think you'll get anywhere in this if you learn all the right words, but you never do anything? Does merely talking about faith indicate that a person really has it? For instance, you come up upon an old friend dressed in rags and half-starved, and you say, good morning, friend. Be clothed in Christ. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, you said the right words, but you walked out without providing as much as a cup of soup or a coat for him. Where does that get you? Isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense? God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense. I can hear some of you saying, oh, sounds good. You take care of the faith department. I'll handle the works department. Not so fast. You can no more show me your works apart from your faith, and I can show you my faith apart from my works. Faith and works, works and faith fit together, hand in glove. Everyone say hand in glove. Do I hear you professing to believe in the one and only God, but then observe you complacently sitting back as if you have done something wonderful? Use your heads. Do you suppose for a minute that you can cut faith and works in two and not end up with a corpse on your hands? That means you can come in here this morning, I can come in here this morning, and I can speak my faith. It's easy for me to do, having the gift of exhortation and all of that. It's speak faith. It's easy for you to do, having the gift of exhortation. Speak our faith, but not do and put the works with it and see someone in need and just say, be clothed, be healed, but not step forth and do something. It's like saying to the drug addicts, be healed of your drug addiction. They don't always work that way. We put our works with our faith in this church. Come on, somebody. We house and clothe them and feed them. We take care of them. We partner with Hope House. It says separate faith and works, and you get the same, a corpse. Look at your neighbor and say, don't be a corpse. Don't be a corpse. This is what God is saying to us this morning. we got to put our feet in our belief system. And in 2 Kings 13, we find where God is wanting someone to be in the God margin. Say the God margin. The God margin is where you don't have enough, where you wonder if God will pick up the slack. The God margin is a sweet, sweet spot. The God margin is when you ask God for something so big that if it doesn't show up, you're going to look like a failure. The God margin is when you don't put your confidence in anything else but him. 
The God margin is that sweet, sweet place. The God margin is where all you see is deficit. But then the God margin, you say, God, if I get there, I know one thing. No one will be able to say that I got there by my own strength or my own riches. Oh, come on, somebody. Or my own power. No, no one will ever be able to say that. In fact, the Bible says God doesn't call. I love this verse, my favorite one. Many wise, many noble, many honorable. No, he calls the foolish things of the world and then he makes them wise in Christ. I love it that most people would have never guessed the dimensions that God could use me in my lifetime because I wasn't the sharpest knife in the drawer. But having come into the kingdom and having been schooled right and working hard and entering my quiver, there's no limit for you and there's no limit for me because we, with the hand of God on us, can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. Someone give God a shout in this place. 2 Kings 13, verse 14. Here we go. Elisha had become sick with a sickness in which he would die. Then Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over his face and said, Oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. Now look up. We'll read this out. This is so powerful because Israel finds himself in the place of history, needing to do more but having less. Syrian has wreaked havoc on them. They have... They have pilfered them. They have gone in. They have plummeted them to the ground. They have left them and reduced them to 50 chariots, 10 chariots, 50 charioteers, 10 chariots, and 10,000 foot soldiers. The Syrian army outnumbered them so big. But guess what God told them in Deuteronomy? I got you into this place by knocking people out that were more numerous and stronger and more awesome than you. Interpret what you're going through now, what I did before. Come on, somebody. You've got to interpret what you're going through now with what God did for you before. And so he, they find themselves, the Syrian army, and what happens is, the reason it's so powerful, because the king Joash went and laid on Elisha. And that scripture that he said, that's what, remember, that's what they yelled out when Elisha saw Elijah go up. The chariots of fire took Elijah all the way up without dying. Elisha, in case some of you don't know, this was his disciple, his Timothy, his apprentice, if it were. And when he saw it, he said, my father, my father. And so this king comes saying that what he's saying is, you can't leave us. Is a chariot of fire going to come? Because we want a chariot of fire. Isn't it amazing how we tell God how he's supposed to work a miracle in our life? And all he could see is what God did in the past. And that possibly God would do that same pattern this day. But God had something different. He wanted this king to empty his quiver. He wanted this queen, this king, to take out an arrow and empty his quiver. And he says that to him. Let's keep reading. And Elisha said to him, take a bow and some arrows. So he took himself a bow and he took some arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, put your hand on the bow. So he put his hand on it. And Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. I'll explain that in a moment. And he said, open the east window. And he opened it. Elijah said, shoot. And the king shot. And he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria, for you must strike the Syrians at effect till you have destroyed them. That was God's will. That was the more. That was the more. The enemy was going to be completely destroyed. That was the more when less was all he saw. But he didn't get the more. He didn't get the more. 
He didn't exercise his faith. What's on the other side of a full investment of you today? What is on the other side? Then he said, take the arrows. So the king took them and he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. So the king struck three times and stopped. And the man of God, which is Elisha the prophet, was angry. That means he was ticked off angelically. He was angry and he said, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck Syria till you would have destroyed it. But now you will only strike Syria three times. Look up now. I'm done reading there. God is ready to release the magnitude of his power in this passage as he is ready today. The same God then is the same God today, Daniel. He is ready to release. The Syrians had wreaked havoc. The prophet is on his deathbed. And he says, according to your faith is what he's really saying to the king. Hit the ground. You see, but the king didn't. The king did not empty his quiver. The king, all he could see was the depleted resources from the past. All he could see was the Syrian army was too numerous. In fact, history says the Syrians could not be numbered. But again, I remind you, God had told them in the book of Deuteronomy, and God has told you in his promises, 8,000 of them. He has already pushed out people stronger than you. God has already bypassed foes that translated and prophesied demonically your future that it would not be what it is and what it will be but God pushed them all aside and he says take up those bows and arrows but he did it he only did it three times everyone say this three arrows three victories say it again three arrows three victories but the king had more arrows than that you you today with your little resources you today with your little time. You today, I'm not saying it ugly, I'm saying it the way it is. Anybody agree? You with your little energy. You with what you deem is your little faith. You with what you deem is your little resources. God is saying, you've got more than enough. What's in your hand? What do you have? Pay attention. Pay attention, Gina, to what's in your hand. Sometimes we get so lost in the past and what we have lost in the past, whether an individual, whether a country, whether a church, whether a nation, whether a family, our economy. Chris and I talked about State Farm is trying to do more with less. Every church I go to is trying to do more with less. Every family I know is trying to do more with less. Every ministry I know is trying to do more with less. You see, we could all focus on when the economy was soaring. We could all focus as families on when we had this or we had that. You see, that's what the king was doing. Elisha was saying, you've got more than enough. And he says something powerful to him in the first part. He says, put your hand. Everyone say, put your hand on the arrow. And it says that the prophet, the man of God, put his hand on top. And I want you just to take one hand and put the other hand on top of it, just for a second. Just hold it. Just keep it there. What God was saying to the king, what the prophet was saying to the king, the power of God is on top of what you have. The force of the Holy Spirit will be upon you. And what you have 
What you feel, keep your hand there. What you feel is small. You see, God was painting him a picture. Elisha was a man of artistic creativity. That's why I love him. We won't get into all the things he did, but he was always getting people to do things. But he's showing the king, king, my hand is on top of you. In a moment, I'm going to die, is what Elisha was saying. But God's hand is going to be upon you. Church, keep your hand there. There's things in your life that are not what they were six years ago, four years ago. I'm 50. I am not. I've never been 50 before. I'm not 22 anymore. And sometimes I'm not sure I've got the same resources. I work as hard as I can. I eat right. I live right. I, I do the right things, spirit, soul, and body. But still, sometimes. But God's hand is upon me. You see, wherever you are, God's hand is upon you. And you may not have what you used to have. This country, America, does not have the resources. Our government is defunct. They're going broke. Things are going bad. But God still has his hand on the church of Jesus Christ. And if we will remember, keep that hand on that hand, that his hand is upon the church in the land, the church in the land can still affect the country of America. But if all we do is focus on the arrows lost behind us and focus on that which used to be, we are going to overlook that which resides in our hand right now. Give him praise and you can take that hand off of that other hand. What's in your hand? The great late Michael Jackson when he was filming Billie Jean. There's a documentary about it. Now, how many know the song Billie Jean? Don't get religious. You all know the song Billie Jean. Don't make me sing it to you because you know I can and yeah, and I can sing it good to you. <laughs> but I saw I mean, he, there's a documentary on when he was filming. They were filming Billie Jean and and Michael Jackson. Of course, you know the greatest thing was a great dancer, and he was just dancing everywhere and, and on it, you know. And they asked the director, "What was it like to work with Michael Jackson?" And him dance through there on Billie Jean, you know, as he did, because he was dancing on lit up squares. And the producer said, "I want to tell you something." He said, we practiced, and I pulled Michael aside, and I said, Michael, you can dance, son. There's no doubt about it. You can crazy dance. He said, but I want to tell you something. What we have done for this video, this live video, is, is we have lit certain spaces and certain blocks along the path. Those are the ones, if you don't dance on those, they're not going to light up. You'll look really good. You'll look great. But the video won't be right. Because we have pre-lit those electronically so that when you dance over to them, they light up. He said, if you want this video to be right, you do that. You know what? I wonder in your life and my life, are we consulting the one before us who has pre-lit certain places of our path that we are supposed to walk on and step on? We might look good doing some other things, and we might think some other things are good, but we've got to ask him, what is the path that you have pre-lit before me? I don't know about you, but I want to dance and walk and live and breathe and move and go in the path that the most high God has pre-lit before me, before the foundations of the earth. Oh yes, we have other talents. Oh yes, people may pull on our gifts. Oh yes, there may be opportunities afforded to you. But what is the pre-lit path before your life? God was saying to him, Pastor Jeff, if you'll come and help me. God was saying to him, Elisha, look back. Elisha was saying to the king, look back. The markers in your life. 
Look back at the places where the provision came through that you didn't think it was going to come through. Look back at the places in your life, the paths that he has taken you to. Don't shrink back because what he wants to do in the future is even greater than what he did in the past. He's saying to the king because the king only struck it three times. The king only gave three of his arrows, but he had more. I wonder what's on the other side of a full investment of you using all your resources. You, your little time that you think is so little for an act of kindness or generosity to someone else. You with your little prayer that you think is so small. I wonder what's on the other side of that. You see, recently I was believing God for some big things for our fall conference. We've done it the same way for many years. Our Saturday night has been a women-only prophetic crazy war, crazy praise. It's been one of the most favorite services ever. Love that service. But last year at the close of that weekend, I felt like the Lord said, change is coming. And particularly toward that Saturday night. Lord, anything, I'll move off Friday night. I'll have Lisa Bevere on Friday. I won't even speak, Lord. Let that be the change. Even though I know our drawing on Friday night is the ministry the Lord has given you and I. The Lord said, no, that's not the change. Pastor Billy Burke, who's been used very strong prophetically in our life, had said to me at the end of the conference, when we left lunch, he looked back and he said, Rhonda, I think God wants to change your Saturday night. Shoot. Shoot. Take your prophetic utterance and go forth, is what I say. Move from me. I said, I'll pray about it, Pastor Billy. I wasn't even going to tell him that I'd already heard that too. And because uh, I do pray, I believe prophetic should be confirmation predominantly in your life, not directional. Rarely is prophecy directional. And um, so I began to pray and seek God and thought of different things that could happen. It didn't happen about four months ago. I was praying and I felt like the Lord said an awakening. He it's coming to your youth. There's many things I was praying about. Pastor and I fit together hand in glove. I'm, I'm kind of crazy in the spirit. He's the steady visionary, moving the ship farther and without it, against all resistance. Pastor will move forward to what God says to him. And we work hand in glove. And I've been praying for some spiritual matters in the body. The Lord said, You've done all you can do. I said, Lord. Wasn't that 12-week series on Daniel enough to cure anybody? It cured me. Why didn't it cure them? And it did. It was a great series. I know that because it was great resources. But the Lord said, I've got, leave it to me. A great awakening. And it fulfilled a dream, a vision I had years ago. I'm not going to go into it. But of you that were here, I tried to tell it on a Sunday morning about two years ago. And I lost control of the English language. If you've never seen that, um, it was a divine manifestation. And people fell on their faces. The glory filled this house. But that vision did involve youth and young adults. It's one part that I nearly passed by. And I've been praying and praying. The Lord had showed me, even showed me the coming of several different people in and out. And I just had to wait. Because while I was waiting, it looked like everything I saw was never going to happen. Anybody else ever been there? How to believe for more when less is all you And what he told Israel, but the king didn't hold on to it.
All the king saw was lack of resources. All the king saw was less. So he didn't invest in was praying and I I told the Lord I said Lord I don't want to move from that Saturday night being prophetic and people have such little room on this earth to really worship God extravagantly to pray and to be ministered to and I just said Lord I don't I don't want to move away from that he said you won't have to and the Lord put in my spirit to call and ask Karen to bring the ramp here on Saturday night but from that first decision her beautiful, I shared it with Bryce and Sarah and Pastor Hank first and then them. And I said, this is going to be crazy. I know some people may not like it. I'm still going to bring in my son, Kelly. He'll still play a part. But I'm believing God for this. I'll spare you all the details. But during this, there was a lot of whining and moaning and complaining and groaning. I, I, Jessica, her assistant, and I began to exchange emails. I began to share my vision. It kept not working out for her to talk to Karen. And I just got, woe is me. And then they couldn't do the weekend. The weekend I said it was going to be on, they couldn't do it. So Pastor Hank and I are loading the car, and he looks at me, and he's very practical. And he says, and the Pastor Billy Burt couldn't come either. He's still coming. He couldn't come. And I said, well, you know what? I'm just going to have a Friday night and just forget it. And no one but Susan knew this. Pastor and I, I mean, we're out here closing the car, and we're having words at each other over this. You ever done that? I mean, we're fighting over this. I said, rah, rah, rah. And he said, rah, rah, rah. Oh, yeah, we're so godly out there. Playing that fall conference. Here I'd been fasting and praying, but bar in heaven, I just... Rawr! And then I said, I'm not going to have it. He called me back. He said, I was out of order. I said, yes, you were out of order. And then I said, I was out of order too. <laughs> so, so we got that worked out. He said, Rhonda, can you not move the date up or back? The way I looked at him, but you got to know me. I'm kind of the planner in the family. And if it's planned this way, we're going to follow this. We're going to follow it all the way. We've thought about it. We've planned our resources. This is the way we're going to do it. We're going to do it right here. Pastor's like, we planned this way, but we need to move left. Let's move left 17 steps. How many know that? We'll move right. We'll move right 25 steps. He's very spontaneous. I'm very much a planner. He said, you just looked at me like I told you to dig across China with a spoon. He goes, I think you need to go back and ask God about that. Long story made short. I did. First weekend, nobody could move. And it got looking crazy. It was coming to the wire. And the people in the church were pressing me. I told the women Sunday night. I had this big meeting. I'm going to tell you the date tonight. Couldn't even tell them the date. It's crazy. I'm mean, Here I am calling this big meeting. And I can't say anything, but this was my verse. Many are the plans of a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. So anytime fear knocked at my door at this big conference that we've been known about, and moving the weekend seemed unorthodox. But the Lord said, think back to the way I've directed you in the past. I and mean, he would tell me how I, he would tell me to go to Oklahoma. That, I'm not going to go into it, but crazy things that I would just get this, this, this thought and I would go with it. And God, and it was God. And he said, remember that, trust me. And I said, Lord, let your purpose prevail. Come Thursday afternoon, Friday, I thought if I don't hear anything, two, two three days ago, I'm just going to preach on Friday night. That's it. I'm sorry, church. We ain't going to have no conference. I'm, I'm just mad. I'm mad at God who told me to believe for this. I'm mad at myself. I've emptied my quiver. God said to me, I'm, I'm putting clothes in my closet. And I'm saying something to my mind to someone I need to counsel with that day. And I was saying to them, use your faith. And I was you know, getting ready to preach to someone in, you know, in my mind. But I was getting ready to speak to them. And the Holy Spirit said, you are so good 
at preaching to others. I wish you just occasionally would preach to yourself. You are so good at speaking the words to others and believing in others. I wish just once you'd speak the same kind of encouragement into your own self. And he said simple, exercise your faith. Clearly, stand there, move in my clothes. He said, did I put it in your heart to ask for this? To get out of the box and ask for something you've never asked for before? I said, yes, Lord. He goes, then exercise your faith. Lift up your voice. Believe me. Speak positively. I started doing it that morning, and I thought, I'm, I'm doing custard's last stand. I'm doing custard's last stand. They're coming if I have to kidnap them. If I have to go down with a gun and put them in a vehicle, they're coming. Now, look at your neighbor and say, that had never happened. I wouldn't have done that. But this is what did happen. Very simple. That afternoon, I didn't mean to share all of this, but it's best that you be on the same page and you understand this journey because it is big change. That afternoon, I'm sitting at the dinner table with Danny and Brian and Pastor Hank, and all of a sudden, Pastor goes, Hi, Karen. And he's got his cell phone up. I thought, are you talking to Karen? He goes, yeah. Shh. TV's going, the Chihuahuas, and he even, Karen must have said to him, how you doing, Hank? He said, great, Karen, half the church loves me, half the church hates me. I could hear her laughing her head off. Good, I'm glad nothing's changed. And then, so they just keep talking. And one hour from Mr. Old School, you know, Pastor just went old school. Forget the assistance, forget the emails, forget the text. Back in the, I mean, when he and Perry want to do something, they don't use anybody. They just call each other. Perry just shows up. Here. Said, we're going old school. We're going to pick up the phone. We're going to call somebody. By 6 o'clock that night, the assistant called me and said, I don't know what happened, but we're all so pumped. We're bringing the ramp to Cleveland October the 15th. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. Now, to some of you, that doesn't mean much because you don't know. But I knew God was saying, it's not just for women anymore on Saturday night. It's for men. It's for women. It's for youth. I mean, the Pastor Brian's telling the youth this morning, I mean, he's been standing. He's been custard last stand with me. He's like, well, I'll call her. Give me the cell phone number. Oh. I mean, we've just been going back and forth. But I'm going to tell you, I had to exercise. I had to empty my quiver. You see, God wants us to be the church and the people. Of the empty quiver are you giving all of the resources that you have don't tell me what you don't have don't tell God what you don't have pick up what you do have and use it for his glory this church needs to be the church of the empty quiver there's some people connected to us that are keeping all their arrows in their quiver and they're having a nice time but this church is not advancing and then there's the church within this church that is emptying out every quiver they have we need to come together and use every one of our talents our gifts so that every ministry of this church can be blessed that we indeed can be the church of the empty quiver give God a hand clap and I'll finish so three victories three arrows let me finish by saying this there could have been so much more what is on the other side of a full investment of you of everything you have right now what books could I write if I did empty my quiver what things could I bring to the earth? What encouragement, what care could I give others if I emptied my quiver and stopped looking at what anything I may have lost or don't have? Think about the people in Scripture that decided as I closed to have an empty quiver. Noah emptied his quiver and built an ark. What's an ark? I don't know, but it's going to rain. What's rain? I don't know, but I'm going to empty my quiver. Because you see, the problem with the king is he was saying, don't you got something else for me to do? Don't we need to bring in all the commanders? Don't we need to do something else but just throw a quiver? 
throw an error against the ground? Don't you have something more? We always want to dictate to God what he wants us to do when God is just saying, take your resources, my hand on top of them and empty them. What about Moses who stretched his rod over the sea as if that would do anything? Sarah shopping for maternity clothes at Walmart when she's 90. Come on, somebody. David taking a smooth stone and thinking he can bring down somebody everybody else is afraid of. Obviously, David remembered what the Lord said. He interpreted this in light of that. I will push out people too strong and too numerous. Esther risked death before her husband. Caleb refused the retirement package and said no. I'm going to go for the promised land. The Jericho, the Israelites marched around Jericho while the inhabitants looked out and said, that's all you got? Really? A walk? That's all you got? And the wise men followed a star saying, this Messiah we believe for for thousands of years, the star is leading. Really? And this little boy with a little bit of fishes and loaves and the woman with the issue of blood emptied everything she had and threw out her arrow and grabbed hold of Jesus and blind Bartimaeus in the midst of a crowd that wanted him to shut up, did not shut up. And he emptied his arrows and cried out, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Mary, pregnant, said, God did this. And Jesus hangs on a cross and he empties his quiver while those he gave his life for did not not believe is that how it wants to look but everyone say but except it did rain and ark did save people from the flood except Moses did divide the Red Sea with a rod except Sarah did woo, get pregnant and give forth the promised seed and David did kill something too big for him and the walls of Jericho did come tumbling down and Esther did save her people and Caleb did march into the promised land and the wise men did find the Messiah and Peter did did walk on water and Mary did give birth to the Messiah and Jesus did give everything he had at the cross and was resurrected to the right hand of the Father. Stand on your feet and give God praise this morning. Come on, come on, come on, come on church. Emptying their quiver. Emptying, emptying, emptying. Emptying, 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 emptying their quiver. What stands on the other side of you in a full investment? Don't talk to me about how little you have. And God says to Rhonda Davis, don't talk to me. Exercise your faith. Yes, Billy Burke is coming. Yes, the ramp is coming. And yes, one of the greatest speakers on the planet is coming as well. It's going to be an awesome weekend. We'll talk about that later. I don't know what's in your life that you need to empty your quiver. What is on the other side of a full investment? What is the dividend? What is the miracle of you emptying your quiver with everything that you have? What is on the other side? What is on the other side of you believing the king could have had full victory. God's will was that he conquered the Arameans. 
God had said that through Elisha. But the king settled for half measures, half victories, half conquest, half a lot. I don't want to settle for half victories, half a conquest, half a life. I don't want to settle for half of anything and God doesn't want you to settle for half of anything. Throw your hands up all over this room in these closing moments. Lift up your hands for who you are, for your quiver, for your resources, for your gifts, for your faith, you with your little time, your little energy, your little resources, your little belief. Lift that up before the Lord today as I commission you, Father, in the name of Jesus, I commission us to be the church of the empty quiver, the church that has used every resource they have, individuals today, men and women who will use everything they have. Lord, you said to us to interpret today's circumstance in light of things that happened in the past. So today, Lord, we interpret what we are faced with in light of what you did in the past. Lord, we exercise our faith. Lord, I pray for every hand that is lifted. I pray right now, Holy Spirit, you would speak to each person. We're not looking for something complex. We're not looking for something mystical. It could be as simple as an encouraging word to someone. It could be as simple as visiting someone that is sick. It could be as simple as exercising our faith for the people around us, for speaking words of life. Faith without works is dead, God. Forgive us when we blame you, when you are waiting on us. Forgive us, God, when your supernatural power is waiting, God, to put your power on top of what we have. Lord, as we lift these hands, we lift up, Lord, our full investment. We lift up everything we are, every gift, every talent, however small it seems to be in our own eyes. And we give it to you, Lord. We give it to you, Lord. We surrender it to you, Lord. We surrender it to you, Lord. We surrender our words. We surrender our gifts, our actions, our talents. We surrender them to you, to you to you. You may be here this morning. You can put your hands down and you may be at a pivotal point of you are facing something that looks so more and less is all you've got. I feel the Spirit of the Lord just wanting to encourage some people. If that's you right where you are, just as all other hands are down, just lift up your hands so others of us can just agree with you. We can just agree with you. I know there's several over here, several over here, several, several in this room. That's what I sensed. So many that I'm not sure how that we could really do this. But to agree, to agree. Thank you, Lord, to agree. Right now, if you lifted your hand, I'm going to ask everybody just to lift their hand to make that easier. Everyone in the room right now, we're going to exercise our faith. I need some people to exercise your faith. You're not one of those that you're facing more with less, maybe in a, a huge problem. You may be in your life and your talents, your resources, but not a huge, magnificent problem, a dilemma. But I want you to ra lay, raise your hand and exercise your faith. What does that mean? 
I want you to begin to praise God for what he's done in the past. I want you to praise him for who he is. Come on, get creative. Praise him for the Red Sea. Praise him that he healed people in the New Testament. If you can't think of anything present, which should be your salvation, begin to speak praises. Come on, all over this room, exercise your faith. Come on, exercise your faith. You that are comfortable speaking out, begin to praise him. Thank him for it. Thank him for it. Thank him for raising Lazarus from the dead. Thank him for those things. Thank him for the miracles you have seen. Thank him for that breakdown he got you through. Thank him that he delivered you out of Egypt's sin. That his strong arm and his powerful hand took you up out of sin. And you accepted Jesus Christ. Thank him. Thank him for that. Speak your praises. Thank him that he's a deliverer. Thank him that he is a strong power. Thank him that he is a mighty force. Thank him that he is powerful. He is mighty and he is glorious. Thank him. Thank him. Thank him. Thank him. Come on, Father, in the name of Jesus, we know there's some people in this room that need you supernaturally, God, to help them with more when less is all they've got. They're facing Goliath. They're facing mountains. They're facing finances. We exercise. We exercise our faith. We exercise. Come on, church. We exercise our faith. You are the God who bore us on the shoulders of Christ Jesus. You are the God who delivered us. You are the God who has called us to triumph. You are the God who has healed us before. You are the God who has restored marriages before. Come on. You are the God who has done miracles. We exercise. We exercise. We exercise our faith. We exercise our faith. You are the Lord who can heal. You are the Lord who can mend. You are the Lord who can restore. You are the Lord who does all things well. You are the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and you are our God. You are the only God. You are the great and awesome God who does wonders. The Lord, show us your power. Show us your glory. Forgive us for avoiding places that we have to exercise our faith. Forgive us, Father. We need miracles in this room. We need to see your strong arms, your powerful hands, your deliverance, your glory, your resurrection power. We need to see you through, oh God, who delivered us of eagles' wings, oh God, who bore us on the shoulders of your son. We cry out. 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 We 